Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody at home. Uh, if you would, please make your uh, way to Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, while you do, I'm going to ask uh, Brother uh, Elder uh, Gary Benefield to come up and read for us Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 6. So, Brother Elder, that's quite a title. Could be worse. <laughs> Reading from the English Standard Version. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thank you. It's good to hear those verses in context there. This morning we're continuing our Christmas series entitled The Gift of Christ. And... We are focused on the significance of the three gifts that the wise men gave uh, to Christ at his birth, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you remember last week, we're going to be a little dyslexic. We're, we've been working backwards. We started with myrrh, and we're working our way to frankincense today and gold next week. But as I mentioned last week, uh, myrrh had a significance which we focused on, which is the humanity of Christ, the death of Christ, that Jesus was born a man, and he came to die to redeem us, that the judgment of God would be poured out upon him, and that those who believe upon him in faith would have everlasting life. And so Myrrh represents that Jesus was the Son of Man who gave himself to redeem us and gave us the gift of his death. Now this morning we're going to focus on the second gift that was given of the wise men at his birth, and it's the gift of frankincense. Now, another weird name, obviously, uh, similar to myrrh. It also came from a certain tree growing in Arabia, and basically if you cut the tree bark, uh, white sap came out, and that white sap was gathered, and that is, was, is really fragrant, and it was, it was a precious commodity, and it would be turned into perfume in some circumstances, but the significance biblically, if we're just getting down to it, is that it was like frankincense is incense. That's what it was used for. It was offered to God. And specifically in Exodus 30, instructions were given to the priests on how to make it in the latter chapter of, uh, in the latter part of the chapter, and what applications it was to be used for in worship. And in verse 37 and 38 of, of Exodus 30, it says, "...in the incense that you shall make according to its composition..." You shall not make for yourselves, it shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it uh, to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. And so frankincense was holy. It was just 
for the Lord. It was kept in a special box by the altar. It was mixed in with the offerings. It was burnt. It was just for the Lord. And it's become, and basically, because it was just for God, it's been come to be associated with deity. And so Murr speaks of the humanity of Christ, but frankincense kind of gives us a, 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 a springboard to talk about his deity. And that's really what exactly our, our, our brother just read right now, our brother, Elder Gary Benefield. Um, as he read out of Isaiah 9, verse 6, that was prophesied 700 years, six, 700 years before Christ came, that a, son, that a child would be born, a son would be given, a ruler would come. And that child, that son, that ruler would be none other than God himself. That God would come. Isaiah prophesied that 700 years before. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And frankincense reminds us of the truth that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. If you would, please flip over to John chapter 1. We're going to be doing Bible drills this morning. We're going to be moving around. Although it's up there, it's good, to, it's good to open up your own word, your own sword, and be familiar with these passages. And you might even want to write down in your Bible or put a sticky note where these are because we're going to be talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. And the title of the message is basically uh, The Gift of God. Last week's The Gift of His Death, but Jesus is the gift of God. Quite literally, God gave Himself to us. John chapter 1, the very first verse, how many of you are familiar with it? It parallels Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, John the Apostle, I love this, we went through John, uh, the book of John, but what he is doing is he is opening for us just a curtain into eternity past. That's an oxymoron, but anyways, in the God before the universe existed. And John gives us a glimpse into what it was like. If you ever wondered what was going on before all of this, uh, God was going on. That's what was going on. And what he says here in verse 1 is that in the beginning was the Word. And if you just want to cheat, go down to verse 14 and you find out who the Word is. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And it talks about the Son of God. So the, the Word is the Son of God. And what we find out is not only that Jesus was in the beginning before a creation, He pre-existed creation. John said the Word was with God. That He was with God the Father. And obviously it implies God the Spirit. But that word for with means face to face. And that's the idea. What John is telling us is that God the Son, before the world was created, was face to face with the Father. Face to face in eternity past, in perfect fellowship, sharing the glory that they had. Remember in John 17, Jesus is praying, says, God, Father, give me the glory which I shared with you before everything started. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. He was with the Father. And then we see that God begins to unveil His plan that He foreordained in verse 3. It says, and all things were what? 
We're made through Him. Who's Him? The Word. Through Jesus. And without Him, John declares, was not anything made that was made. Everything in existence was made through and by Jesus Christ. Listen, everything in creation, seen, unseen, spiritual, physical, laws, all those things, things that govern the world, physical laws, all that stuff was created by God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but created by God. But specifically regarding Jesus, John says that all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And just for further clarity, flip over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. You wouldn't want to lose your place in John. You're going to have to use like six fingers on this today. We're going to be like, Colossians 1, 15-17, it's up there, but it's good to get it in your Bible and write it down and say, Deity of Christ. He is the what? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, real quickly, image is a way of saying the exact same. In when it talks about firstborn here, he's not talk. When it says he's the firstborn of all creation, he's not saying that Paul isn't saying he isn't making the point that he was the first to be created, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would like you to think. That is not what he's talking about here. And the text is so clear. On the contrary, firstborn here is speaking of position. In a Jewish household, what would happen to the firstborn son? He would have all the rights of the father. If the father wasn't there, he would possess all the power and the authority and everything that the father had. And that's Paul's point, is that Jesus is firstborn over all creation. He is chief over creation. And that is point. We know that's what he's saying, because read verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things, what? Hold together. The point is that Jesus pre-existed this creation eternally, God with the Father, and he, along with the Father, the Spirit, God, as they are called, created the heavens and the earth and everything seen and unseen. Jesus is no joke. Jesus is no joke. You see the distinct attribute of God in that He alone is the Creator. And we see clearly that Jesus, the Son of God, along with the Father and the Spirit, is the Creator. We can go through Scripture and see that all the attributes of of being the creator are given to Jesus, given to the Father, given to the Spirit, because they alone are God. They're one. He was before creation with God face to face, and through the Son, everything was created, seen and unseen. Jesus is the creator God. And what the frankincense reminds us of is that the all-powerful creator of the universe came to us. And we see back in John 1, 
verse 14, where it tells us, and the word, that word we just talked about, became what? Became flesh and tabernacled among us and dwelt among us. And John says, and we have seen his glory. And I think what John is doing here is he's going, listen, I'm not telling you some fable. I've seen his glory. Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw his glory revealed, unveiled for a moment, and they all fell down and started to worship, not knowing what in the world to do. He says, we beheld the glory as of the only Son from the Father. And notice what Jesus is full of. Full of grace and full of truth. The creator of the universe entered into creation. He became a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. God came, just as Isaiah prophesied, as all the prophets prophesied. And the writer of Hebrews speaks of the miracle of this incarnation. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. Many of you ladies have been, have been studying uh, Jesus better than, you know, the, the, how Jesus is better than all these things, better than the angels, better than the priesthood, all this type of stuff. But the writer of Hebrews in chapters 1 speaks of the miracle, the incarnation. Incarnation simply means with meat on. God came you know, we get the word carne asada and all that stuff. It means meat, right? So incarnation means God with meat on him. He, he came and became one of us. God taking on flesh. And in Hebrews chapter 1, in the opening verse, he says, Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, if you remember the parables that Jesus gave, he said there was a, 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 a wicked vineyard owner, basically, and he sent a bunch of different servants, but they kept on rejecting the servants. And finally, he sent his own son, thinking, surely they'll listen to them. And they killed him. Long ago, at many times and ways, they spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And finally, he sent his own son. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What's so special about the son whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he has created the world? He, that is the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, the son, upholds the universe by the word of his power. God sent his son to us, Jesus, the heir of all things, the inheritor of all things, the co-creator, the one who upholds the world by his very word. What kind of authority are we, are we talking about when we're talking about Jesus? As I've said before, Jesus is no flannel graph Jesus. I think Pastor Arthur said, you know, was quoting C.S. Lewis that, you know, he's, he's pretty scary. Speaking of Aslan the lion, he is definitely a lion, but he is full of grace and truth. But the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, we all know that by his word the universe was created. In the beginning, 
What happened? God said, let there be light. There's a little illusion there, the Father, Son, and the Spirit in Genesis 1. But Jesus spoke and the world came into existence. God spoke and the world came into existence. The world is also held together by that same command. And one day it will fall apart by that same command. We know that his word in Peter, well, Peter tells us that one day, the day of the Lord will come and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Some of you who are scientists, you know, we look at the fact that, you know, you look at an atom and you look at all the things spinning around in there and it doesn't make sense why they stay together. Well, let me give you a hint because Jesus is keeping it together. And you know what happens when atoms don't do what they're supposed to do and things start bumping into another, you get a reaction of great fervent heat. And one day God's going to speak and it's everything in the universe is just going to let go. And it's going to be one atomic goodbye. But I think it even speaks more of that, that as the world goes away in heat, it's going to just totally dissolve and be gone. And Revelation talks about the world is gone, the, the stars, the moon, the sun, everything is dissolved and there's nothing that hides us from the, from the reality of eternity, God's throne room, and everybody will be brought before his throne to be judged. He's holding it all together right now by his word. These chairs you're sitting in, your very body, your being, the thing, your blood flowing through your system, everything is being held together by his word. What power the Son of God had. And we saw by His very Word, the same Word that spoke things into creation, we marvel at the New Testament because He did things that no one could do apart from God either authorizing them or doing it. He spoke to demons and demons left people. He spoke to incurable diseases and people were healed. He spoke to the winds and the waves and they stopped. He spoke to people who were in sin and told them that they were forgiven. So not only command over the physical world, command over the spiritual, the demonic, over forgiveness. And he raises people by his word to life. He resurrected the dead. He healed people at a distance, not even talking to them, just People had faith in him, and he said, go, they're going to be well. And that's exactly what happened, because Jesus speaks, and it happens because he is God in the flesh. And at his word, the world will dissipate. But what power, what authority is in the Lord Jesus Christ? Think of the restraint that he showed while he was here. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus is the exact imprint there in chapter 1 of the nature of God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. In other words, if you want to know what God, who is spirit, 
would do, what his nature is like, you look at the Son. Because whatever the will of the Father is, whatever the actions of the Father, whatever the teachings of the Father, those are the exact will, teachings, ways of the Son. They are the same. They are one. And we know this as we look through Scripture. You see in John 14, remember Philip said to Jesus, hey, you know, Jesus, show us the Father and it will be enough. <laughs> and what did Jesus say? He said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus has the exact nature of God because he is God. And so God, the eternal creator, came to us and became a man. Do you see how amazing this is? And yet, the eternal, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful creator, when he took on flesh, he didn't come to us like we would expect a God to come the first time, with much fanfare, with pomp and circumstance, with a media blitz, with a campaign. In human power, that is. But rather, he chose to come in humility, more radiant and more powerful than all the suns combined is his glory. And yet, he came to us humble and veiled. Just think, out of all the people he could have been born to, out of all the places he could have been born, out of all the circumstances he could have been born into, out of all the places in time, that he could have been born. He wasn't born to a king and a queen. He was born to a peasant family. We know this because when, as soon as Jesus was born, they went and presented him at the temple and they offered turtle doves. The poorest offering. Not a, not a lamb, not a bull, but turtle doves. Jesus was born to a poor, humble family. And how beautiful was Mary. Just this young woman who just loved the Lord. But she was poor. And also poor in spirit. If I was God, I would have been born to kings and queens and what about where they where Jesus was born? We know was, there was a census and they had to go to Bethlehem. They were out of their normal digs and all that stuff, but God had that all timed out. It was prophesied that they'd be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born in Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn. So he was born in the farm shed. And he was placed in the feeding trough 
God who created the universe in a feeding trough. Would you do that with your child? This wasn't a mistake. This was on purpose. He could have been born in the most luxurious of circumstances, in the most luxurious hospitals with the best doctors and care, in the most advanced part of civilization and time. And yet, he wasn't. He came humbly. Of all the times in history, wouldn't you figure now would be a better time than then if you wanted to get the word out? where instantly you could communicate through social media. You know, here I am thinking that God can't instantly communicate to everybody at once, but you know what I'm talking about. He could get the word out instantly. All this stuff could be on video, and everybody could see it, and, and it would just be the buzz, and there you go. Could have been born into a great nation, and with strong military. You know, maybe perhaps Israel today, strong military isn't oppressed by a bunch of foreign invaders, so to speak. They have personal sovereignty and all that kind of stuff. But he wasn't. He came when they were had the boot of Rome on their neck. He came to a people that were all religious and yet were murderous in their hearts towards the very one they proclaimed to worship. He was homeless for his adult ministry. Jesus chose to come to us not in blazing glory, but in humility. And that speaks of the nature of God. Because he will come in blazing glory, and he will come like lightning flashes in the sky. Everybody will see him on that day, but the first time he came, he came in the form of a servant. He came humbly, and that tells you about the very nature of God. There is no one more humble than God. He is the definition of humility. And we see his humility displayed in Christ. In Christ, as, as Paul in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Another verse for you to flip to. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 points to the church as Jesus is an example. In other words, as Christians, as we look at Jesus and how he lived and what he did and, and what he gave up and all this type of stuff, Paul says, now live like him. That's what a Christian is. It's a little Christ. We, we mimic him. Just as Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, we're to be exact representations of Him. And Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you see the pattern there? Not that we are deity, but He is our Father. He is our Savior. But Philippians 2, 5-8 points out to the church. Says, Paul says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I want you to think like this, church, Paul is saying. I want you to have this mindset as you go about your day. In Christ. Verse 6, through who, 
through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be clutched onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Paul is saying, look at Christ as your su- supreme example on how to live your days as Christians. And he starts out in verse 6 there by saying that although Jesus was God, he didn't, he didn't count equality, equality with God a thing to be grasped. What he's saying there is that Jesus, although he was God, had every right to maintain all the position and all the trappings that go along with being God. He had the right to hold on to all those, but he did not cling on to them. He did not grasp onto them. He did not hold on to all those things. Now, you've got to know, this is not saying whatsoever that Jesus gave up his deity. If he were to give up his deity, he would cease being God and everything would be gone. He is who he is. He did not abandon who he was. He didn't stop being God. That's simply untrue. He was fully God and fully man. We're not really dealing with Gnostic heresies right now, but he was always God in the flesh, never not God. It would be impossible to stop being who he is. But what we do see is that He kept his power as God. He had power over demons. He had power over nature, over sickness, disease, all these types of things. No one could do what he did. Only God could physically die and yet have the power over death through his death. And that's confusing enough. God used death to have victory over death. What happens when we die? We die. Unless God raises us from the dead. You see, he has power over all that. But Jesus did not empty himself of being God. No, he was fully God and brought to us, uh, God was brought to us in him. And what Paul is pointing out is that Jesus, as God, emptied himself of many of the rights and the honors and the privileges that were his, like giving up his glory. He came veiled. He didn't just walk around glowing and blowing everybody away. He veiled himself. He gave up the worship of the angels as he was in the throne room of God. And they worship him crying out, holy, 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 day and night. And all those types of things he forewent for a time. He gave up all the glories of heaven for the darkness of earth. He gave up the holiness of that environment to come into the darkness of sin and death in a a world ruled by Satan. That's what Jesus did when he came to us and he emptied himself. And this is the essence of Christianity. This is really the essence of Christianity that we could never reach God in the darkness of our sin. We could never reach God in our own strength. And so God in his love gave us the greatest gift. He gave us himself. He came to us. And frankincense really reminds us that God condescended. I know that has a bad term, but what is it to be condescending? It's to talk down to someone. But the idea is that Jesus stepped down, not to talk down, but he came down 
to us to lift us up to him. He came down into the deepest darkness and he pierced that darkness with the light of his life. And he proved who he was by the miracles he did. Without a doubt. That he and the Father were one and they came to give eternal life to whoever would believe. And we will, when we look at Jesus, we see the very heart of God. Do you know when Jesus spoke, it's no different than what the Father would say. We've gone over this in John. I don't want to belabor it again. But we see the very heart of God in Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's heart is, you look at the Son. And one of my favorite passages that really relays the heart of God and encapsulates the reason why He came, why God came to us, is in Matthew eleven twenty eight. You, you probably know it, but another one to turn to and underline. When Jesus said to the dark and bro- broken world that was listening after He was praying to the Father, He said, cried out, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am what? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that how you view the Lord? The heart of God came to do what man could never do, to break the shackles of bond, the bondage of our sin and the power of Satan over us. Last week we were quickly reminded of how God sent Moses to deliver the Hebrews out of 400 years of bondage. They were under the oppression of Egypt, crushing life, soul-crushing existence of being a slave. And it got worse and worse and worse, and the taskmasters were brutal to them. And in their deep distress and anguish, year after year, they finally, they were crying out to God. And God heard their cry, and he sent a Savior, a Deliverer, and that was Moses. And all of that, although that happened and that was real and that is not pretend and that's not just an allegory, that, that truly was part of Israel's history, that was painting a bigger picture of what the world's condition was in and what would come, if you, a bondage that we all have to sin and death, a cruel, wicked tax, taskmaster of Satan and a greater Savior than Moses who came to free us from the bondage of Egypt, from the world of sin and of Satan. And now one of, who is greater than Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has come into a world with crushing slavery still, into a world with a bitter taskmaster, Satan, still. And 
if by God's Spirit this morning you're awakened in your heart to the fact that you are a slave to sin and you need to cry out and have a Savior, the Savior is still calling out and He cries out, Come to me. Come to me. That's what He says. Come to me this morning, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The Son of God cried out in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. You know, you can be free in a country and be the most oppressed person because your soul isn't free. And many came and believed in Jesus in his day. And the Christ still goes out to the world today. The Son of God cries out, Come to me. Meaning leave the slavery of sin and come to the Savior. Turn from sin and believe in Jesus. Believe that He died to pay your price, to buy you out of slavery, to redeem you, and that He rose again, that you would have eternal life. And Jesus cries out then to those who believe, take my yoke upon you. And the picture here is that mankind is like an ox in a field with a yoke that has been so heavy upon them, with a load they cannot bear, pushing and drudging day after day with no hope, with just a taskmaster whipping them day after day. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Come to me. I'll free you from that. And then I'll put a yoke on you. My yoke. And his yoke, he says, what is what? It's light. We know that. John says later in 1 John 5, 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Love one another. Love God, love one another. Compared to the burdens and the commands of the world, and of sin. And Jesus said, come to me, and when you do, I'll teach you as well. Well, how do, I, how do I live this life? Come to me. Let me put my yoke upon you. It's light. I'll teach you how to walk. I'll teach you how to love. I'll teach you by my spirit, by my word, how to live after me. And the spirit does. He teaches us day by day. Here, as we gather together, you, as you're walking down the street and he starts speaking to your heart about the things that would glorify him and what to do in a circumstance, as you're talking with him and it matches up with his word, he leads and guides you gently. You're like his sheep. He loves you. Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a, fainting, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Jesus said, come to me and I'll teach you. And then he says, because I'm gentle and I'm lowly of heart. God is gentle and he's lowly of heart. And obviously this is a fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about. Lord, work that more into me and to us. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Is that you this morning? Well, he's gentle. He'll care for you. He loves you. You're a sheep. The tender mercies of God towards you in Christ Jesus. He loves his sheep. And lastly, God came to bring you, and this is what it all comes down to, is that the Son of God gave, 
came to give you rest for your souls. He came to give you a Sabbath. And that's ultimately what it, what it points to. The physical day points to the spiritual reality that Jesus Christ came to bring you peace with God. Rest in your soul. No longer awaiting judgment. No longer awaiting the wrath of God. No longer all those things but you're awaiting your inheritance, the glory that he's given you, the grace in Christ Jesus. No longer slaves to sin and death, but sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus came to give us true life. That's what he came to give us. John 10.10, 10, good thing to get tattooed on your forehead. The thief comes only to steal and control, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's trying to get your attention. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what he is actively doing. But Jesus Christ has come to give you life. How many of you have experienced his life? Amen? How many of you are feeling like you're a little oppressed? Under the weight of it. What do you got to do? Come to Jesus. <laughs> He's your life. The same way you came to him is the same way you, 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 you live your life. You just keep coming to him day after day. Say, Lord, I took the old stupid yoke on me again. Give me your yoke. And soon enough, as you, as the Lord is the heavy ox doing all the lifting and you're just walking with him, you find that your burden's light again. And he gives you rest for your soul. Starting in the moment you believe and going on forever. In closing, Ephesians 2 says, and I just want you to think about this for a second, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and, and he's raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did God come down? He came down to lift you up. And why did God love us with such great love? Haven't you wonder, like, is this going to end when I, you know, there's got, God's got to get bored at one point. Right? Because we get bored. You got to think, okay, he's just going to clear the, the game and I'm just going to go, I'm no longer going to exist eventually. All this type of stuff. You wonder what's next? Do you know what's next? Do you know why God came down here to lift you up? Verse 7. Well, verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, in the age to come, after all this is said and done, after God speaks and everything's gone, God's plan is to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. How much grace is that? Read the, read the verse. Immeasurable. How long is that going to last? eternity. 
You have no clue. We have no clue about the goodness of God towards you in Christ Jesus. He came down to die to bring you to himself. And this is the gist of it. Go back to John 1.1. 1, 1. It was the son who is face to face with the father. He left the father at the father's will to come down into our darkness that rebelled against him and to buy you back and to lift you back up to where he had always been in perfect harmony and sharing in the glory with the Father. That's heaven, is to be in this perfect love relationship with God. The absence of sin, glory, and all the splendor. You wonder with the mind of God of what he has for us next. We have no clue, but I just know it involves the immeasurable grace of Christ Jesus for you. You were created for it. You were redeemed for it. And so Jesus Christ, the gift of God, God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And I just want to read Ephesians chapter 1 in closing this last thing. It says, and the, and the riches that we have in Christ Jesus are inexhaustible. Ephesians chapter 1, you can do it for homework. It says, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. If you are his, you are chosen before the foundations of the world. I don't understand that, but predestined to adoption, redeemed by his blood. You were forgiven. We've been given the mystery of his will in Christ Jesus. We've been given an inheritance that can never be taken, spoil, fade. It can't be taken away from us. None of that stuff, but is kept by the power of God for you, and God's pretty powerful. We've been sealed in the meantime with the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we take hold of it. All these things in Ephesians. And he just starts laying out one after another of all the riches that we have, all the gifts we have in Christ Jesus. They're all found in him. We're seated with him. He came down to lift us up, to be where he is. We were far off in darkness so that you would be in his eternal light, near his side forever. So frankincense, a great reminder of Jesus Christ, the gift of God, God in the flesh, all-powerful, almighty God came down to buy you. And he loves you. And he's got plans for you. Here and forever. Amen? Amen. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for just coming to us, sending your only son and all the treasure we have in him. Open our hearts and our minds to the reality of Jesus Christ. Lord, this world has tried to trample your worship, has tried to push it to the side. Lord, may we worship you in spirit and in truth day after day for how good you've been to us. May we be mindful of how powerful and holy and who you are, and yet you desire to come to, to us in our darkness and draw us to you. And we have that now. We have that promise. You don't go back on your word. We are in you if we have repented and believe in Jesus. 
I am yours and you are mine. And so, Lord, we rejoice in this season for the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of God. We pray, Lord, for those who don't know you in this season, who are wandering around in their darkness, who, are, who have been so oppressed for so long in the slavery of their sin, and the evil taskmaster has darkened their hearts. Lord, we pray for those people that you would break through with the light of your gospel, the truth of your Son, through your church, through your word, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. Use us in this age. And Lord, may you bring many sons to glory.